Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor of Casper Alliance Church. Thanks again for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning worship gathering. We're currently in a summer series. Uh, it's actually been since Easter, working through the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is week nine. This is chapter nine. Uh, have a great week. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com, or you can download our app, go to your app store in your uh, tablet or your phone, search for Casper Alliance Church, look for the double C's, and download us. Thank you. Hey, uh, while they're leaving, I just want to say that this last week, we had Vacation Bible School in this building, and we... uh, we left everything up just so you could bask in the glory of VBS. It's pretty wild. Um, we had a great turnout. Our, I mean, I've asked a lot of different people, when was the last time we had vacation Bible school at this church? And it's different numbers. It's been like 600 years ago, 15 years ago, 20. I, it, it's been a while. It's been a, a long time. And it's, it was a great week. Leaders did awesome. Um, I know that the director, Lynn, kids... She's on vacation now. She's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'll, I'll be back in 10 years. Um, but it it was just a good week. And so uh, we had anywhere from 60, I, I heard a number like 60 kids one day, 40 the next. I mean, it's, it was just, it was a good, good week. And so all you leaders who are in the room that made it to church on Sunday, thanks for being here. Yeah, let's clap for them. It's really, it was a really good week. It was a good week. All right. So. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews 9 this morning, Hebrews chapter 9. And one of the, uh, how do you say this? One of the most important things that all of us humans can do is stand at some point, and I, physically I don't know if you have to stand at this, but you need to look at yourself in the mirror and start to discover and figure out why you think the way you think. It's really an important kind of like process. And so I'm, I'm currently trying to navigate that in my own life. Why do I think the way I think about certain things? And uh, I, saw, I know some of you in this room are probably scared of this word, but that's, that's a real mental health work. It's important to do that. And so one of the things that I've been discovering, this is not going to be some sort of like, whoa, Jason, just share, is that like I'm not super committed to the way in which we do things. I'm not committed. I, what I am committed to is seeing us do things. I'm not super committed to, to how we grow the church. I'm committed to growing the church. Now, in that, I have all sorts of tension all the time. Like, I live in constant tension and frustration and annoyance, and I continue to, like, look at myself in, in my computer screen and go, why do I think the way I think, or why do I get frustrated about the things I get frustrated These are such such simple things to have to address. But they're in the same kind of camp, but they create this turmoil in my brain, right? The same thing happens all of the time with preaching. Like, I have an outline, and I'm like, this is where we're going, and then I'm like, yeah, but I'm really not that committed to it. I'm not that, like, excited about it, maybe, is the right way, or like, and what it does is it creates this kind of mental tension. And you all have it. I promise you all have it. Don't pretend like you don't. We all, got, we all have some mental health things we got to work through. And the more you admit it and kind of try to work through it, the healthier you're going to be as a human and the better you're going to be as a follower of Jesus and actually the better impact you're going to have on your family and your neighbors and the people around you. You're just going to be that much better as a person. And it's really good. And you're not going to, like, there's all sorts of, like, bandwidth of, like, where it goes and depth, right? But we all have it 
little bit. And I'm wrestling with that. So here's the deal. The thing that happens every single Sunday to me is I have this tension where I go, I'm not that committed to what I'm saying. I'm committed to one thing today, and then I shape a talk around that. That's how I've been for a long time, and I've been trying to hone that in and say, no, 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 we really need to like be on this path and do it the right way. And, and I just like, no, I come in and I'm like, you know, I need to say this one thing, and that's about all I need to say. Everything else is superfluous or distraction. And now I want to tell you this one thing. Now, here's the deal. We're in Hebrews 9, and I'm gonna, I want to read it to us, but like, I want to give you, I, I try to give you uh, maybe some of the brain space that's going on in my world so that you, when, when the word vomit or the word stew hits the people, they're like, oh, I get why that was a little confusing. That's a little weird. Now, and, I, and then you feel it and you're like, oh. And so I try to be as clear as possible, but I want you to, it's th- super important to be transparent to me. That's a value that I have as a human being. In transparency, my, my other struggles, I create conflict. <laughs> Maybe conflict at home because I'm overly transparent. Maybe conflict just in, in the world because I like, have to live in that tension, right? So here's the, here's the thing. When I came in this morning, I'm like, I'm not that excited about this talk. So throw, throw, the, um, throw the PowerPoint up or the keynote or whatever we call it now today. This, that's not right. That's the text. There we go. This chapter is all about blood. It's just about, it's such a strange thing to talk about. It is. Okay, so next week, I thought of you. Next week is phlebotomy. That's the, I have next week, we're going to be, we're going to be all become phlebotomists. You know what a phlebotomist is? Who's a phlebotomist in this room? Do we have a phlebotomist? Yeah, we do. And I, listen, the more you and I interact, the more your dark secrets are going to come out. (laughs) Bologna sauce. Just remember, everybody judge. But, the, the blood component, I'm like, I'm just not that excited about it. And, and so this chapter of Hebrews is, shows the importance of the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9 is all about the blood of Jesus. Now, I'm looking around, and, I, and I, I'm not going to name names, but I'm seeing people that are under five years old in this room. And we're like, we're, this is a weird thing to talk about. The blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Like, why is that so important? Next week, uh, I will spend some time. We'll talk about why the blood is important. And we'll, there, are, there are real reasons. There are real reasons. And like some of us older people can say, and who've been, in, been to Bible college and the seminary, we can talk about it. Or growing up in a church, you know, you can say, but I'm not that excited so, yeah, what does the blood do? It per- we are purchased by his blood. We have peace through his blood. We are redeemed through his blood. Why can't you get excited about that, right? I just don't want to say, and I've already said it like 40 times, I don't want to say blood constantly. We are healed by his blood. And what that does inside of me is make me go, oh, how do we talk about this? Go to the next slide for me. This is what I'm excited about. God has acted with finality to destroy the effects of sin. That's the, that's the thing I'm excited about. The mechanics, the, the tactics, the, um, the, the process don't excite me. Here's some insight to your lead pastor. There if you were to look at my strengths, which some of you all should have, a lot of you should have gone through Strength Finder, you'll see that my strengths are all about um, 
this, getting excited about vision and, and how we get there. Not necessarily the process, but that we do get there. We get there. So I want to get to this where we're excited about the effects of the work of Christ wiping out sin in our life. The process, uh, let's hand that off to somebody else. The strategy of it, let's hand that off to somebody else. And, and, and like the little tactical, I don't get excited. If some of you in this room are like super pumped about like, let's get into the whole tactics. Tell me about Leviticus. Tell me about Exodus. Tell me about the process. Tell me about how God set all this up through his people. And we can do that. But I don't get fired up about it like I get fired up about God has acted with finality. I'm not talking like, hey, if you jump through this hoop and jump through that hoop and do this person with authority and finality that the effects of sin are gone. And I get, I get pumped about that. I get excited about that. I get excited about yelling about it, about getting in your face about it, because here's what I think it should do. It should change us. It should transform us. It should make us into something different, right? So then, so then as I went to like try to develop this talk, this is my main point. God has acted with finality to destroy the effects of sin. I started to build a typical message and I got super bored. Next slide. Two S words. That's all I could come up with, two S words. Now, uh, there's a funny family story that we have. Uh, a long time ago when I was a, um, a younger man, and our kids were younger, uh, we, had, we used to have people in our house a lot, like teenagers. Um, I don't do that anymore. It's not healthy for our household. We have two teenagers that live there. Inviting 12 more is not an exciting thing for me. You should try it once and just say, okay, that's not for me. And then those who are going, I kind of like that. You're going to continue to do it. Thank you. You've now volunteered as a youth leader. But we used to have students in our house all the time. And we would sit there and talk and do small group and have these things. And um, uh, so in our household, we had swear words, right? One of the swear words in our house was an S word. Stupid. That was, that, was, that was the S word. And so we would say, do not say the S word. Because, you know, kids, boys would call each other the S word back and forth. So we have all these kids in our house. And Caleb, he's like seven, comes running into the family room, looks at everybody and goes, check you later, S words, and runs. Like, just disappears. Like, just bolts out of the, like, the room. And you had like all of these um, teenagers who had never had that experience and didn't know the rules of our household and didn't know our euphemisms, like all of a sudden go, what did Caleb Faisal just call us? And I'm, so you remember a few weeks ago where I talked about me being an online priest, Jedi Pickle the priest, anybody here remember that? And I play video games with these guys online and I'm priest Jedi Pickle. Um, there is a couple guys, every time they say goodbye, they say, check you later, S word. And then they hang up the phone. 20 years later, there are people saying, checkulator S-word to me. Because that happened in our house at a formative time when, with a 15 or 16-year-old. Yeah. 
So the whole time, I had two S words. The S words are symbol and sacrifice. Those are your S words. And all I could think of is check you later, S words. And maybe I was being nostalgic about being a dad and all the different journeys I've had with raising two boys who are just a combination of cute, gross, and fun to be around. Um, and it depends on what decade we're in at this point to design what, decide whether they're cute or gross or, just, you know, fun to be around. Um, and so, like, I had this idea of check you later S-words. But the S-words are all about the mechanics of what's happening here in Hebrews chapter 9. The symbol and the sacrifice. And, the, and I, I just wasn't passionate about it, but I'm going to read it to you. And we're going to talk about it for just a second. Just not even that long. Hebrews 9, let me read this to you. These are the mechanics of the way in which sin has been obliterated by the work of Christ. And its effects should not have an impact on you anymore. For chapter 9 of Hebrews. Here we go. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room, there was a lampstand and the table and a sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover. The place of atonement, but we cannot explain these things in detail now. Even the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, there's a lot more to talk about, but we're going to fast forward beyond this. When these things were all in the place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties, but only the high priest ever, ever entered the most holy place, and, the, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely opened as long as the tabernacle and the system is represented were still in use. See, here we go. We have, this, we have these symbols, these things that are actually happening, uh, the, the practice by which people were forgiven. The practice in which the behaviors of like of uh, having atonement for your sin, this is how we went about it. We had these places and we had this, this practice, right? The priest went in, he did these things. This is a description of what's going on in the very room. This is what the temple looked like. And the writer of Hebrews saying, you, should, you know all of this, and we're not going to go into too much detail, but I want you to know this, that the place and the practice, which were a thing that we used to do, aren't the thing that we're going to do anymore, See, the deal is, is only certain people, the priest, the intermediary, the, the person, the, the priest could step in and have access to the Holy of Holies and speak on your behalf. It didn't give access to the commoner. It didn't get access to me. It didn't get access to you. Somebody had to go on my behalf. And so what happens here is the writer of Hebrews is saying this place in this practice, the symbol of, of forgiveness or the symbol of, of your sin being fixed, is we got we to gotta do away with it. We got to move on from it. Because you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy for you to do it, and it's not easy for me to do it, and we need to put it aside. Ordinary people didn't have access, and so there needed to be a new covenant, 
So that we, and, and the writer of Hebrews has already been talking about this, that Jesus went, he's the priest. He's already gone through the veil. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. The, the, he's already created access for us. And here's what's going on. The writer's going, you need to pay attention. This thing that you're clinging to, that you're holding on to, this way in which you used to live, it needs to go away and stop holding other people to it and forcing them to live in this way as well. This is done because you know what happens? You're not completely free. I've talked about this a lot in this church. Um, I used to drink a lot. This is Caleb Faisal's story morning. I used to drink a lot of pop. A lot. Like, I haven't had a pop since February 2020. And I miss it. Because, really, I don't feel any better not drinking pop. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, Diet Coke, I'm not lighter because I don't drink Diet Coke. I'm, so, I might go back to it tomorrow. <laughs> I feel fine with it, without it. Here's the deal. I used to drink a lot of pop. And I switched to Diet Dr. Pepper. So, I, I would... I would um, I would trick my brain to say, hey, this pop doesn't have any calories in it, and I'm not going to drink my calories. I'm just going to drink a bunch of pop. And, diet. and I would buy, uh, buy the, the cargo ship load of Diet Dr. Pepper, like piles of Diet Dr. Pepper. I would go into 7-Eleven by our house, and I would buy a super big gulp. You guys know what 7-Elevens are? Anybody? That's, yeah, all right. They're, Slurpees are fun. We, <laughs> um, I remember one time we drove to Colorado within the last like couple of years and like 7-Eleven Slurpee like like that is a core memory for our children that Slurpees are important. Um, I would buy uh, a super big gulp and then like four liters of Diet Dr Pepper. I just that would that's what I now it's coffee so the caffeine is what I was really craving. Now here's the deal. I would just constantly drink Diet Dr Pepper, and so my young Caleb when he was like kindergarten, he had no perception. He just, he saw me drinking the, the Diet Dr. Pepper. And he went and told the kindergarten teacher that my dad drinks a lot of beer. <laughs> a lot of beer. Now they knew that I was a pastor because, you know, that's just how we, we, when we step into a room, we announce what we are. I'm a pastor. And he, he, when we had parent-teachers conference, I had to sit in front and, you know, it's a five-year-old telling your kindergarten, the kindergarten teacher that my dad drinks a lot of beer, which they're like going, whoop, whoop, whoop. Maybe this explains why Caleb acts the way he does sometimes. And because his dad's bad. So she brings it up to me and says, hey, I just want you to know that your son, Caleb, has said that you drink a lot of beer. And I'm like, No. Okay, well, I just want you to know that this is what he's saying. And I'm like, oh, all he sees are these empty containers of pop all the time. He sees my practice of drinking something and has no correlation to real life what it is and just assumes that it's something else. The practice that we do doesn't always match what's happening on the inside. The practice that we do doesn't actually tell the whole story. The tactics of the behavior of repentance going to the temple, as we'll find out here in a second, didn't clear the conscience and didn't create freedom. It was just a practice. And the interpretation by somebody who didn't know, they would tell their own story. They would tell their own way of, of this is how it is because this is what I see. And the work of Christ made everything personal. 
So yeah, we have this place in which we can go to the temple. We have this practice by which we, we operate, why we, the priest intermedes, intercedes for us and is our mediary and does these works so we have repentance. But it's not personal at all. There's nothing personal about it. And the work of Jesus made everything personal so that you and me could have access and experience the exact same thing. And so as soon as the story got unfolded, I was like, oh yeah, I drink an enormous amount of Diet Dr. Pepper. She's like, well, that's kind of what I thought. And here's the deal. What, <laughs> what ends up happening is this place and this practice isn't personal, and all it's doing is putting a Band-Aid on a mortal wound. It's just putting a little covering and, and just covering just enough to where we don't feel like we're going to bleed out, but, we're, but it's putting just a Band-Aid. This like kind of going through the motions, doing this, going to this place, doing this practice. And I'm telling you what, church can function like that right now. You show up to church on a Sunday morning and you feel like you're going through and you, I showed up and I did my church thing and I feel good about myself and I got yelled at by that guy and he told me about Jesus and I feel really good and I'm going to step out. And, and frankly, it might just be putting a bandaid on a mortal wound. And you're like, you're, you're checking some sort of box. And Jesus' work is way more personal and needs to divide and cut to the soul of who you are. That's why it obliterates the effect of sin when you have a relationship with Christ. So there's no more band-aids. This is what's happening here in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, I don't think they knew what band-aids were. They knew what God's strips were maybe, but they're like saying no more basic, like we're just going to cover and pretend. No more intercessor or intermediary person. You are responsible for entering into the Holy of Holies. You are responsible for what God is doing in your heart and soul. You are responsible for your behaviors, your actions, and all of it. You don't get to surrender to the place, and you don't get to surrender to the practice anymore because you are accountable. And guess what? Jesus did all of the work for us. So the symbols are now being flipped upside down. Now, we have our own symbols here at the church, right? What's a symbol that we use? Yeah, the cross is a symbol. It reminds us. And, and you can come and look at the cross and go, I feel really good because I saw Jesus' cross. If it just becomes a, 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 a rote behavior that you are like checking some sort of box, it's not personal anymore. It hasn't divided and cut to your soul. It hasn't made you change at all. And this is what, what we'll see as we keep reading just a little bit more. Verse 9, this is an il illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices the priests offer were not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For the old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations, but they... They, but that, ugh, regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. I mean, that's tactical words, right? Those are practical words. The better system is a personal system. And here's, here's what we find. My subtitle says Christ is the perfect sacrifice. So your second S word, the symbols are going, the practice and the place are changing. And it's going to become personal. But the second S is sacrifice. Let's read verse 11. So Christ now has become the high priest over all the good things that, we ha that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers could cleanse people's bodies from the ceremony 
ceremonial impurities. Okay, here's the deal. This is important. I'm going to have you write it down. Leviticus 16, Numbers 19. Those are chapters in the Bibles. Write them down and read them this week. I was going to do it, but we're we're not going to get there. Leviticus 16, Numbers 19. The writer of Hebrews is taking these two key elements that are in the Old Testament, that are the old ways that anybody reading this that was practicing Jewish law and the way in which they experienced atonement would go, oh, I understand the bulls, the blood of goats and calves. I understand what this means, the ashes of a heifer. I know what that means. What's he saying? And they would, it would be like a, like a trigger in the brain that would say, connect to this next thing I'm about to say. So Leviticus 16, Numbers 19, those are the origin points of these ceremonies, the origin points of these festivals. And the writer is assuming you already know and you already feel and you are currently feeling some sort of spiritual disconnect to that, that you're just kind of going through the motions. You're just kind of doing the thing where you show up and and head up to the place and you do the practice and you're just kind of going through the motions. That's what the writer's saying here. Remember these particular things. Now here, verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences, consciences, consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal, eternal inheritance God has promised for them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they committed under that, new, that first covenant. So here we go. We now have this sacrifice, right? Put, throw up that screen for me, right? Um, so I can walk along with it. The, the keynote, not the words. Because I have it here, but I'd like to walk with you. That's the next one. Jesus recovered eternal redemption for us through his sacrifice. So if you're practicing the old Jewish customs, the festivals, and the Day of Atonement, you went to the Day of Atonement, you went through it, and here's what happened. You were atoned for your sins. Your sins were covered. They were taken care of. The mediator, the priest, went in. He sacrificed. You brought, you brought the uh, sacrifice. He did it. Your sins were atoned for, right? So it's not that the fact that the, that the, uh, the old Jewish ways didn't atone for the sins because God, God asked them to walk this way. But here's what's happening in this particular sequence. He's going from just a place and a practice to now making it personal so that now Jesus has uh, recovered the eternal redemption. So redemption was never a question. But here's, here now who has access. We all have access because Jesus has walked through. He's made himself the mediator and his sacrifice has satisfied all of the atonement that could ever happen from the, this day forward to that day past. All the atonement is now under the sacrifice of Christ. So his perfection, he is, he is the blemishless Lamb, he is without blemish. He is the blood of go- uh, from the goats and calves. He poured that on the cross. He is all of the sacrifices wrapped up. His perfection made it satisfy everything. So in his humanity, as he lived his life as the perfect human, he entered into Golgotha to the cross as the Passover lamb, the sacrifice to atone for all sins. His blood poured out on the cross, satisfied it all. It made it incredibly personal for you to access it. He offered himself without spot or blemish. And his sacrifice was incomplete. Now here's the deal. Our purging, the purging of self, had to take place. Our conscience needs to be purified. We need to be free. 
and having a free conscience creates worship. I'm going to go back to verse 14 of Hebrews 9 and just follow with me. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance. God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that, he, that they had committed under the first covenant. Go back to the very first uh, slide for me so you guys can see it and read it with me. Actually, the second one, maybe. God has acted with finality to destroy the effects of sin. God has removed the, the practice he has removed the place and he's put all of it on the person of Christ, his son, so that we have a relationship with him and experience the same practice, the same uh, place, but it's through Jesus so that we have a personal encounter with him. It's incredibly important. Now, I don't know what that looks like for all of us. We all could probably uh, share our personal encounters with Jesus. We have different ways in which that's happened. But the, the issue is there has to be a cleansing so that the effects of sin are destroyed in your life. Destroyed. Turn me to Romans chapter 8. And then we're going to end right here. At the end of chapter 7, Paul is talking about how the sin is inside of him and he's battling it and he does the thing he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the thing he does want to do. Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Verse 1 of chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have to catch this. The place and the practice that the writer of Hebrews is, is critiquing and saying the new covenant has come. All it was doing was scratching a little itch. It was putting a little, a little band-aid on a mortal wound that was sending us to death. The behaviors, the life, the, the followers didn't change. We just were satisfying uh, a little bit of atonement and felt a little bit better. And what happened was we continued to fall to sin, fall to sin, fall to sin. It is clear, it's clear that that sin has been destroyed and should have no power over us. I'm going to read it again. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is why I look at myself in the mirror and go, why do I, 
I'm doing the same thing Paul does. Why do I do the things I do? Why do they think the way I think? Why do I have the same sort of feelings or attitudes or frustrations? Why, are, why is this sin or, or anger not obliterated in my own soul? That's a thing that all of us in this room, whether you're four or 400 years old, should look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I've encountered Jesus Christ. I love him and I want to orient my life around him. Why do I do what I do? Why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel the way I feel? Here's the deal. This is political. Turn the news off. It's time to actually offer hope to the world. We get sucked into the chaos of, of creation that's happening right now, and we forgot to be agents of hope. We have this thing that ensnares us, that just wants us to, to perpetrate evil and, and anger and frustration and bitterness to the rest of the world. We want to be part of that. We want to be caught up. And I'm telling you, sin is no longer something that should power over us because everything is personal now with Jesus. And if you claim to love Jesus and orient your life, you've got to be an agent of hope. You have to be. You have to be this life-changing voice to the person next to you that makes them go, you know what? There is a chance I can get out of this garbage. My relationship with my spouse can change. I can raise my kids better. My, my job life could look better. Everything about my life could be better, not because God promises that we're going to have uh, health, wealth, and happiness, but God promises that we can live with hope and power to not have sin draw us into this chaos. See, the deal is when we, when we hyper-focus on all the negativity, and, I, and I, I, we just become part of it. And we just go through the motions to where all of a sudden Diet Dr. Pepper looks like beer. And you can't tell the difference because you don't know the difference. Because we're just going through the motions. We're showing up and checking a box and saying, I did the practice and I showed up to the place and I feel good about what I'm doing. And we settle right back in to the same life that we feel so disgusted by. And I'm telling you, the work of Christ obliterated the effects of sin to where I'm so rigid and awful as a human that I'm saying that if you are living in sin and you love Jesus, you're choosing to do that. You're saying, I'm going to dive right into this. I'm going to love... I'm going to love to live here. I'm going to, I'm going to bathe in this gross space. And that's not what God's called his people to be. Now, sure, we go, this is the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're kind of the holiness movement people, right? Like we, we, we like sanctification. And I know that this is the struggle of, the, of humanity. I don't do what I do want to do, and I do do what I don't want, whatever. <laughs> but there is no condemnation now because I'm in Christ Jesus. So now, not only do I have access to the Holy of Holies to where I can sit in fellowship with Jesus, the writer of Hebrews in chapter nine is saying you can worship with a clear heart and a clean mind. You can enter into true worship to where you can acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and have, him, have your life be the fruit of loving Jesus. And, and sin has no power over you anymore the effects of it in death, and the effects of it in life have no power over you. And if we can't grab a hold of that and be excited about that and deliver that deliverable to somebody that's our neighbor, our family, our friend, if we can't be agents of hope, 
I'm going to suggest that Satan has blinded us and we're, we're, we're just living in that sin because we love negativity so much. And we want to live there because it's fun to be angry and it's fun to be frustrated and it's fun to be bitter and it's fun. And I'm, it's not producing life. All it's doing is like, hey, this is the practice of the world and this is the place in which we do it. I want Jesus to transform me every day. And it's really, I'm bad at it. <laughs> I get it. I'm speaking to you as a, as a person who lives in negativity. We are agents of hope. Next week, we're going to talk about phlebotomy. Um, yeah, Adrian's going to have her blood drawn in front of everybody next week. <laughs> we're, but we're going to get into why the blood matters. Let me pray, and then we can head home, and you're going to have a happy Father's Day. Father, thank you for... The work on the cross, Lord, thank you for the the destruction of sin and that the work that was done by your son Jesus obliterated sin's effect. Lord, help us to live in that to where we enter into relationship, the personal relationship, so you impact us, you change us, transform us from the inside out. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, say hi to somebody on the way out. Um, And uh, have a great Father's Day.